Let's join together in prayer. Lord, we acknowledge that without you we can do nothing and without the work of your spirit, unseen as the wind, we cannot hear your word, we cannot receive it, we cannot obey you. Lord, we are truly helpless without your presence and your power and your grace. So as we look into this passage now, please open our eyes and open our ears and hearts to receive your word and to know, Lord, what it is you want us each one to do in response to your written word. And this we pray for the glory of Jesus alone. Amen. Well, a little ditty in relation to uh, John chapter 4 that I learned many years ago uh, goes like this. The SW met the SW at SW. She became an SW and an SW. And when that's spelled out in full, it's the Samaritan woman met the saviour of the world at Sychar's well. She became a saved woman and a soul winner. All the SWs from John chapter 4. So we're going to zip through this uh, wonderful passage. We can't possibly uh, deal with it in full to see what we can learn from this story. And let's remember this is history. We're dealing with history here. We're dealing with a real situation that took place many years ago, just as real as us being here this morning in this world with the Lord Jesus. And you'll notice as we go through the passage, the word really does focus on the Lord himself, both his person and his work. Even though we call this passage the passage about the Samaritan woman. It's really about the Lord. And the first verses, from verses 1 through to 26, are almost all to do with the person of Christ and the revelation about his person. Then he teaches his disciples about his work, sowing and reaping, how to go about it. And then finally, in those last four verses, we're looking at both his person and his work. The need to believe and who he really is in all his fullness. For some of us, this um, salvation meeting of the, of the woman with the Lord is uh, rather a remarkable thing. But I do want to tell you, first of all, that for all of us, it's most important that we have a meeting with the Lord, just as she did, just as real as she did. Of course, we can't meet with him anymore in the flesh, but we do and can and must meet with him in the spirit. The spirit of Christ is all over the world. He's omnipresent. And for salvation, we must meet with him. There's no other alternative but to have a meeting with the Lord. Paul the Apostle says, if we do not have the spirit of Christ, we don't belong to him. In other words, if we haven't met him in that way, we cannot even be truly a Christian. We must meet 
with Jesus. Just as surely and just as certain as this Samaritan woman did. Now I'd like to ask you, can you personally really say that? Yes, I know I've met with Jesus. I know I met him when I began my Christian life. That's so important. Can you say that? I've had a meeting with Jesus. Wonderfully possible and absolutely necessary for our salvation. Well, this woman meets up with the Saviour. We're told that the Lord needed to go through Samaria. He must go through Samaria. Now, that's that need is, of course, geographical. If he's going to travel from Jerusalem to Galilee and go directly north, he must go through Samaria. But there's also a must or a need associated with the meeting with this woman. The Lord knew ahead of time that that woman was there and he must meet with her. And all that was going to happen through his meeting with her, with her fellow villagers, as she bore witness to to them. Of course, they were Samaritans. And as she said, the Jews had no dealings with Samaritans. They were unclean people. They were not pure Jews. And in the time of the Assyrians, after the captivity, when they returned back to the land, Assyrians came with them. And most of these people were a mixture of Jews and Assyrians. They weren't pure, so the the Jews despised them, really. And often the Jew, when he was going north from uh, Jerusalem to Galilee, he would skirt around Samaria. He wouldn't go through. It was regarded almost as unclean country. And so Jesus um, goes through the middle of Samaria. And the first thing we can notice from this meeting is that Jesus himself was no respecter of persons. He didn't regard the Samaritans as unclean. He didn't regard this woman as unclean, even though, as you remember in the reading, she'd had five husbands. She'd chewed up five five husbands in her lifetime. And the man she's living with now is not even her husband, the fellow that she's living with. But even then, Jesus doesn't respect or disrespect her person. He was no respecter of persons. And neither should we be, really, should we? We should be able to relate to anybody because we know the gospel is for everybody. And we must be able to talk to everybody, not regard people as high or low or unclean or whatever. The Lord has really tested me on this one a couple of times in the last week because one of the things that he's enabled us to do since we came home from mission work is to get out on the street. And every Saturday I join a team in the city on the corner of Burke and Swanston where we witness to people. And every first Saturday of the month, that was yesterday, we get out on, get out on the street in Melton to bear witness to passers-by. And when I was coming home from the city work, it's two weeks ago now. I was on the train. And there were four men there in our carriage, thoroughly drunk. They couldn't stand up. One was able to just apparently hold his liquor a bit better than the others, and he was standing, but the other three were just falling over all the time. They were so drunk. And I thought to myself, well, look, these men are so needy. I've got to try and get the gospel to them somehow. And nobody else was talking to them, of course. They all 
wouldn't talk to drunks. You don't know what their response is going to be anyway. <clears throat> so I went up to them and I said, because uh, I knew they were, wouldn't able, be able to read, I gave them each a piece of gospel literature, the four of them. <clears throat> and I said, here, when you're sober, when you're thinking straight, pull this out of your pocket and read it. It tells you about Jesus. And <clears throat> sadly, and it was a bit funny at the time, one of them said, oh, we're all Christians already, he said. You know, we've all, we've all believed. But the thing was, from that I know that somebody else had talked to them before and somebody else had brought the gospel to them. So it was just a follow-up. <clears throat> so the Lord confirmed that it was the right thing to do. But yesterday on the street, the first person who came by was actually a lady who we know is one of the town prostitutes. And we've been bringing the gospel to her for nearly three years now. And we've seen a change. She's dressing better. She's got a bit of a spark in her eye. She talks to us more freely now than she used to. And yesterday she came and we offered her a piece of literature again. She gladly took it. And do you know what she did? She planted this great big kiss on my cheek. And I, I, I have to say, I'm sorry, I felt a bit embarrassed. What would people think if they saw her do that? But <clears throat> she's coming along. She's coming there. She's on her way, I'm sure. And she'll eventually, we believe, come to the Lord. But we can't respond to people in a way that we show that we think down upon them or whatever. So we come here to this location, Sychar's well. We're told it's where Jacob and his family uh, had a location. So that pinpoints where it is near Mount Gerizim, which is where the Samaritans had their worship centre. And we see here the true manhood of Jesus because he's tired, he's weary from the journey, he's thirsty, he asks for a drink and apparently hungry as well because he sends the disciples away uh, to get food in the town of Sychar. So we know from this <coughs> that he's uh, a very, very real human being as well as being God in the flesh. <coughs> and <coughs> the lady came at the sixth hour. Now that's interesting, isn't it? Because the sixth hour for the Jew was midday. Their day started at six o'clock in the morning. At midday she came. Now the ladies <coughs> very, very rarely came at midday for the water at the well. They would come in the evening when it was cooler. They'd all come together. She's come by herself. She's come in the middle of the day when it's hot, almost certainly because she's a despised woman and she's been rejected by the group. And so she comes on her own in the middle of the day. And of course this wonderful meeting uh, with the Lord Jesus. When he asks her for a drink <coughs> then goes on to apply it by saying that he can give her living water, living water, springing up into everlasting life, living water that would save her from her dreadful life that she'd led and would continue to lead <coughs> if she hadn't met with Jesus. And we know from John chapter 7, just a couple of chapters further on, <clears throat> that this living water, on another occasion, Jesus stood and cried out saying, if anyone thirsts, 
Let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke concerning the Spirit, whom those believing in him would receive. For the Holy Spirit was not yet given, not yet given until Pentecost. But the living water, very clearly, is the gift of the Holy Spirit and the application of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Unless we have the Holy Spirit, unless we've met with him, all those benefits of the cross, going right back 2,000 years ago for us, cannot be applied to our lives. We can look back on the cross, but for the benefits of the cross to come to us, as well as looking back in faith, God has to bring the benefits to us. And it's the Holy Spirit, the eternal spirit, who carries the benefits right across the centuries and applies them to your heart and mine today, where we sit. His presence is here. And that's the wonderful truth, isn't it? It's the work of God to carry all those benefits of the cross across the centuries through his spirit and to apply them to our lives and for us to drink this living water and be saved. She comes to understand a little bit more and more just who Jesus really is. That's an important thing, I think. It's part of her salvation to understand who he really is. At first, she says, a Jew, you're a Jew. She could recognize that from his dress, that he was a Jew. Then two verses later, she says to him, sir, she knows he's a man worthy of respect. She calls him sir. And then in verse 12, she says, are you greater than our father Jacob? She's beginning to think, well, he's a great man, maybe even greater than our father. Then in verse 19, she says, sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. More and more, she's coming to understand about Jesus. And then in verse 25, she begins to suspect that he might be the Messiah. And Jesus says, I who speak to you am he. And then, of course, finally, in the last verse of our reading, the people, along with the lady, say, we know that this is indeed the Christ, the saviour of the world. And starting from just being a Jew, the understanding grows all the way through until she realises, and all of the uh, villages of Sychar realise that he's the saviour of the world. Well, they marvelled. The disciples, didn't they, that he was talking to a woman. But they knew Jesus. They knew that his purposes would be purposes of salvation. And they didn't query uh, what he was doing. They trusted him, even though she was an immoral Samaritan woman, not normally somebody you'd, you'd even talk to, let alone speak the truth to. And Then in verse 28, after the Lord has been dealing with her, I think way back in verse 15, she begins to respond when she says, Sir, give me this water that I may not thirst nor come here to draw. That's the beginning of her salvation. But then in the intervening verses, the Lord really works in her life and uh, touches her. And then she turns, when the disciples come, she turns and goes back into the city. I can imagine she was going fast. And what does she do? She leaves her water pot behind. The very reason she'd come out to the well, she left it behind. She was so 
taken up with her salvation, with the forgiveness of her sins, with the fact that she was a saved woman. She rushed back to the village to tell everybody she couldn't help herself but to go and tell them. And of course the Lord at the same time is dealing with his disciples and talking to them about the harvest and the reaping and the sowing and his purposes in reaching the woman. But he does in the middle of this teaching period, this teaching time, he speaks to them about the ability to be a witness. He said to them in verse 34, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. That's what I live on, he said. My food is to do the will of my father, to see the salvation of people, to see people healed and uh, changed in their lives. That's my food, when they offered him food. And of course, they were puzzled by that. But you know, we ourselves, we are called to be witnesses, aren't we? He told us to be witnesses, to tell other people about him. And the Lord said, we as Christians cannot even live unless we feed on the food of his word. Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of the Lord. And that bread of God is in his word. We must be feeding on his word continuously. If we're to have the life we need, and drinking of his spirit continually, the living water, if we're to have the life we need to be truly his witnesses and to take the opportunities that God gives us to speak of him. Now, just to apply this message, because as you know, I'm sure, if we don't apply God's word to our lives, there's just no purpose, is there? To just be hearers only and not doers of the word is something that we're very strongly warned against. We must be doers. We must be able to say, what is it that the Lord wants me to do as a result of this word this morning from John 4? How should I respond? What is he requiring me to do? And it may be different for every single one of us here. But of course he does want us to be witnesses. That's for all of us. And I want to just give you some applications from the reading of the word and then from these few thoughts from this passage. The first one is this, be sure you've met him just as certain as the Samaritan woman met him on that wonderful day. Be sure. Don't be content with I hope so. Be sure you've met him. I remember that wonderful day, and for me it was a day. For you it may be a a progressive growth to that point. But for me it was just one wonderful day, one wonderful moment really, on Australia Day in 1963, and I was sitting with a a pastor in the front seat of an old falcon ute. He began to read to me out of Corinthians. And as he read to me out of Corinthians, the Lord just washed me clean. It was just like somebody was taking a piece of soap and a rag and just washing me clean inside as he read the word. And he changed, the Lord changed me in those moments. I became a new man, a follower of the Lord. I met him. That was the meeting with the Lord. We need to be sure we've met him. 
then we need to be sure in our own lives we're no respecter of persons. We must be able to talk to everybody. We must not look down on anybody or even look up to anybody because we're all the same. We're all of one blood, aren't we? And people get into all sorts of strife in their lives but it shouldn't make us turn away from them. And then thirdly, to drink deeply from this living water, from the well of life that the Lord himself provides. And I believe this is the great forgotten truth in the Presbyterian Church of Australia, the work and the ministry of the Holy Spirit in our lives. I think we're afraid, actually. I think we're afraid of abuses. We've seen what people call the work of the Holy Spirit in various abuses in other churches. And so we're hesitant. But if the Holy Spirit is truly at work, there's no abuse. There's just honour and glory to Jesus because his work is to honour Christ and to point to him through us and to bless us too, of course, in that ministry. So let's pray that there'll be a new work of the Holy Spirit in our denomination. But drink deeply yourself from that living water. And if you've been saved and your sins are forgiven, you and I must be like that woman who just dropped the water pot and went off quickly to tell the people in the, the town and in the village what had happened to what had happened to her. And she just was overflowing with gratitude, so much so she had to speak about it. Imagine what would happen, and I sometimes imagine this. If every true believer in Christ in Australia was to become like that woman, rushing off to tell people about the Lord and what he'd done for her. If we're all like that, I think this country would be revolutionised, would it not? We could say that for sure. In closing, I want to tell you about Mr Jenner in Sydney. I don't know if any of you have ever heard of Mr Jenner. But he was a street worker too. He worked in the street, in George Street in Sydney for many years. He was born in 1903. He went to be with the Lord in 1977. I think he must have been a bachelor. I've not been able to find that out. Uh, I don't think he had a family. But he was converted in the Navy. I don't know what year. Again, when he was absolutely stone drunk. And a fellow sailor saw him in his great need, led him to the Lord while he was under the deep influence of alcohol. And he said, the change in my life was like coming out of pitch black darkness into the bright noonday sun. And he said in those moments, even though he was drunk, he said, I said to the Lord, Lord, you helping me from this day onwards, I will try and tell ten people a day about you. And he went into the street in Sydney, into George Street. He found a little doorway where he'd sort of step back. And every person that he could, when they passed by, he'd step out with a piece of literature in his hand and he'd say the same words. He did this for 40 years, mind you. The same words, he said, if you were to die tonight, would you go to heaven or would you go to hell? And then the people would either take the literature or reject it. And he did that for 40 years. Once, um, towards the end of the 40 years, in a church in England, 
An Australian man stood up at the end of the service, in London it was, he said, I'd like to join this church, I'm here to live, but I would like to tell you my story first. And he said, I used to live in Sydney, I walked up George Street, this little man popped out of the doorway, little old grey-headed man, gave me a piece of literature, spoke to me, the same words I just told you, brought me under conviction. I went home, yielded my life to Christ. I've been a Christian ever since. Well, the pastor was that one of these pastors that speak internationally. He finished up in the Caribbean soon after. He told the story of this man's testimony in his church. Something like four or five people came to him afterwards and said, they were missionaries in the Caribbean. They said, that's just so wonderful. That's what happened to us. We walked down George Street and this little old grey-headed man popped out of the doorway and asked us that question, gave us literature. We read it. We'd never heard it before. We yielded our lives to Christ and now we're missionaries here in the Caribbean. He went on to America. He told the story again. More people he found there who met this little man in George Street. Then he went to India. He met a diplomat there who told him that he'd gone down George Street while he was a diplomat in Sydney. He'd met this little grey-headed old man and, and he'd given him this literature and asked him the question. And soon after he came to Christ and believed. And the story went on. I, I won't tell you the rest of it, but <clears throat> this pastor decided he was going to go to Sydney and try and find Mr. Jenner. He sometimes called Mr. Gaynor. And he came to Sydney especially to find him. He asked questions around and somebody knew where he lived. And he said, look, he's very sick. Um, he's an old man, he's very sick. But I'll tell you where he lives and you go and see him. So this pastor from London went to see Mr. Jenner. And he found him, as, as he was told, very sick. And he told Mr. Jenner this, these stories about people he'd met all over the world that had come to faith in Christ through his ministry in George Street. Do you know what Mr. Jenner said? And this should be an encouragement for every person who does street work. He said, I've been on that work for 40 years. I have never yet heard of anybody who's come to Christ through my ministry. That's the first time anybody has ever told me. How's that for faithfulness, eh? 40 years. Two weeks later, he went to be with the Lord. He'd never been in a newspaper. He'd never had his face on the front cover of a magazine. Nobody knew about him. But just imagine what it was like when he went to heaven. Witness. That's what the Lord calls us to do. And to be faithful in it even if we don't see results. To keep on keeping on. Telling people about the Lord. And even using this wonderful story from John chapter 4 where they said in the end, now we believe not because of what you said, for we have heard for ourselves and know that this is indeed the Christ, the Saviour of the world. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this wonderful gospel. 
that transforms our lives and the lives of all who receive and believe. Thank you for the work of your Holy Spirit to convict us of sin, to point us to the Saviour, and to give us that gift of faith itself, saving faith. And we do pray, Lord, you'll just take all our lives, for all our lives, whatever days you give us, that we might be your faithful witnesses. And this we pray in Jesus' name, for his sake, for his glory alone, Lord, and just surrendering our lives entirely to you. Amen.